Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt, director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and let's begin today by calling in the ancestors. I call out to my own ancestors, and I call out to yours. I call out to those who are good and true and beautiful in your ancestral line and mine. I call out to those who bring to us the legacy, the legacy of those who have gone before us that can help us to live in a way that goes forward from the past, in a way that heals the wounding of the past, in a way that comes up with new ideas and does not simply repeat all the mistakes of the past. And on this day, at least in America, that we are voting, let us vote wisely. Let us vote based on the wisdom of the past. Let us act today based on that wisdom. And let us engage in this conversation today based on that wisdom, the wisdom of those who have gone before us. May they be rich and present with us here today. We call out to the energy of the earth, that great and essential ancestor, that place of beginning. We call out to the energy of the earth and ask her to be with us here today powerfully to remind us of the miracle that is all life. Remind us that we are part of that miracle and it is upon us every single day to act, to live, to be part of that miracle. That we have that power, that potential, that reality within us every single day. Let us not forget. So we ask the earth to help us to remember with every step that we take. To help us to remember to be connected within ourselves, to be connected to all things, and to extend our awareness out to all life and to know ourselves as part of this great oneness, as part of the great web of life. And we give thanks for this interconnection and this place of belonging. We give thanks to the energy of the sky above and we call it in to our proceedings here today, reaching all the way up through all the layers of the physical sky out into the spiritual realms of the sky to the highest power of the universe. And by whatever name you have been taught to call that power, call it down. The name doesn't matter. The blessings do. The protection does. The generosity and benevolence that comes to us from the realms above, these things matter. By whatever name we call it, It matters. So call it in, into our circle here today, into your life, into you as you listen to our proceedings here today, whenever that might be. So we call the energy of the sky down and bring it into our bodies and allow it to merge with the energy of the earth that we have called up. And we let these energies dance and blend and merge together to bring us into the perfect balance for us here today. And in that balance, we call out to the energy of our own hearts to be with us here today and help us to live passionately and well in the world without attachment to the outcome of this day. And may we blend the passions of our own true inner self with the wisdom and clarity of our mind, and may these things come together in our heart that we might know why we are here and live this day in a way that brings those gifts we have come here to bring into full manifestation. May what needs to be heard be heard today and what needs to be said be said. And I thank you all for joining me here today. I would like to give thanks to Tibor, Tanya, and Steve 
and all the other listeners who have donated that this show might stay live, on the air, and free to those who choose to listen. I have great gratitude to those who have allowed themselves to be moved by the shows, moved by the heart, into action. Because this is part of the essence of shamanic teachings, is that the energy flowing from the heart into action, into the world, and being inspired by things, letting the heart be enlivened by things, and moving into action, that this is how we create a life of meaning and purpose. And this is how we create communities that thrive on meaning and purpose. And this is how communities create nations that act based on things of meaning and purpose. So this willingness to allow yourself to be moved from the heart, this is the essence of a shamanic understanding of what allows the great web of life to be rich and elastic and powerful and being a source of energy for all things. When we turn our back on this, that web is frayed. So let us not fray the web today. I invite you today three, four, five times to allow yourself to be inspired by things. Let the beauty of your day move you into action. And if one of those actions happens to be to acknowledge something that is meaning for you on this show, you can easily go to whyshamanismnow.com, click the support button, and donate whatever amount of money you choose to, large or small. And I thank you for helping this show to stay available to people all over the world who have access to computers. So I want to give thanks um, also to the community of my own students that support me and the growing student of listeners who are supporting this show. Today, the topic um, of our show is oral traditions in a virtual world. And we are live here today, which allows you to call in at 512-772-1938 or to Skype, if you're listening at the co-creatornetwork.com site, you can click the Skype button. Um, or you can email me at christina at lastmesscenter.org. And you are certainly welcome to um, join us today in this discussion. Oral traditions. How do they exist here? How do they function here in our ever more virtual world? The spirit of a great teacher is simply that they are able to completely be, to live, inhabit, to embody what they teach. In that integrity between the message and the messenger, the way is opened. The flow of spirit is unimpeded as it pours into the space of the teacher and the student. The ordinary moment between teacher and student opens into the archetypal moment. The exchange is graced and infused with spirit. The teaching arrives then on all channels of learning, simultaneously, consistently, and because of these first two, the teachings arrive synergistically. This is the power of oral traditions. There is an exchange with spirit not just between the humans, the teacher, the student, not just between the humans. There is an exchange with spirit and the humans. There is a gift from the other world given to each, given to the teacher and given to the student. Different gifts, but gifts from spirit nonetheless. 
What was an exchange between two people is now boundless in potential. The student open, integrating, associating the energy of the teachings in his or her own unique way and the teacher giving in ways called forth only now by this student and his or her uniqueness. We humans learn in many ways and they are all wonderful. Learning through oral traditions engages all channels of the human being, visual, auditory, all the five senses, all of the spirit senses and the multiple ways of knowing that we have, we have access to kinesthetic learning, alignment with the deep internal truth cord within your being. All of these channels are accessed through the form of oral traditions as a form of teaching. So now the teacher who is not a master of his or her teachings is not in integrity with those teachings in the way that they live can certainly screw this whole system up, granted. And at the same time, the student who is not truly present and engaged in the act of being a student can screw things up as well. So for this to work, both the teacher and the student have to engage. This is an exchange into which both parties must enter fully present and engaged. In other words, caring, though each for different reasons. So this is an exchange in which both parties must enter fully present and engaged for the energy of that exchange to reach and then open into the archetypal realm. And in this, I mean caring, which is an energy coming from a wholehearted presence. I don't mean attachment, which is an energy of the mind and will certainly only get in the way. So oral traditions were designed to engage us in the archetypal experience of teaching and learning, not just the act of receiving information. So this is the uniqueness of oral traditions, is that they give us not only the possibility to learn on all fronts, but they give us the possibility to bring not just the teacher and the teacher's spirit, but to bring spirit in its entirety into the engagement, into the exchange. So what of oral traditions in a virtual world? What, what happens with traditions that move through physical presence in a world that is moving more and more into the idea that anything we could experience face-to-face can now be experienced through the mediation of some kind of technology. So there are two dynamics in this which are particularly interesting in this conversation today. The virtual world as it's currently manifest does extend the oral voice, if you will. In other words... You get to hear me. You get touched by the teachings. Um, So virtuality allows access for people to find the way to what stirs their heart. At the same time, the same virtuality that opens up this access feeds our human addiction to the need to know. 
where people consume information without engaging the heart, knowledge grows fat and flabby without the effort to create context and association, and most importantly, the filtering out of that which is not true. So, okay, people, it's 2010. You have to use technology to be listening to this program, so it's pretty safe for me to assume that you already understand that the control of information is an act of power. So when this act of power is used to control and manipulate people, this would be considered an offensive act of power over. For example, the generations of women in European countries who were not educated because the powers of that time of church and state made education of women illegal as part of a very organized effort by patriarchal powers to run everything. So this is an example of an abuse of power through the control of information. And we all are living today in the result of that. And as we can see, that didn't go so well. So when the control of information is used from the heart, so it's an act of power mediated in the heart, the control of information can be used to protect For example, an indigenous parent engaged in progressive disclosure to gradually teach his or her child to engage with the invisible world. Or the fact that a human being's initiatory level is the energy that defines the level of answer they will get from spirit to their questions. So the idea that there's way more information out there than we can possibly handle in the moment and that it is somehow being mediated for our benefit, is a deep truth in our relationship as humans with the spirit world. There's nothing wrong with that inherently. But this capacity to manipulate and control information can certainly be abused. And at this time, on the face of the planet, uh, it's pretty grossly but abused, but in a very sophisticated way. So what is my point here? So my point is that from the time of the printing press all the way through all of the stages of development to the Internet that we experience today, the ability to share complex information in a packet, which is the control of information. So the ability to share complex information in a packet, be it a book or a byte, has opened the gate of information. You no longer have to learn anything but how to read and use a computer, basically, to access the wisdom of all the world's peoples. Well, not precisely all, at least all of the world's wisdom that can be written down and the wisdom of all of the peoples who bothered to have a written language. So I'll hedge my statement here, but you get my point that basically – the ability to package this information and to repeat that packaging and to share it broadly has opened up access uh, to the world's, the collective humanity's wisdom. And this access, I would argue, is a good thing. And in this time of intense governmental and religious control over various peoples around the world, and in this way controlling or limiting their ability to manifest their own destiny, uh, through this control of manipulation and information, I would argue that this access is good. 
and that the capacity for someone to, in other words, the capacity for someone who is deeply limited by the control of information in their own home environment to get access to oral traditions from some other culture or maybe even their own, maybe even the actual access to the deeper teachings of their own current manifestation of the dominant fundamental religion, to gain access to that is a beautiful thing. So if you wanted me to argue today for virtuality is 100% bad, it isn't going to happen. On the other hand, virtuality does change things in two very important and related ways. First, people tend to treat the written word as the word, capital T, the capital W word, without remembering that even the Bible is a text written to support the oral teachings of the church. And I believe that this is true throughout, that these are not meant to be standalone documents. These are not meant to be proof of somebody's interpretation of them. They are meant to be the support documents for learning through your experience in that tradition. So the challenge with the written word and for this capacity to package information and disseminate it is forgetting that the word isn't the thing. So an example is um, I have a client who was having enormous challenges in her adult life reliably accessing her power, consistently accessing it, um, effectively accessing it. And this was an enormous frustration to her, ongoing frustration. And the diagnosis basically from a shamanic perspective was that this person was 100% male identified. Thus, as a woman, she wasn't ever going to gain access to her power because she believed that that was only accessed through maleness. Now, it's no mystery how anyone in America would get that way. So that's not the point. My point is her response as we were discussing her session was this, this thing, this thing spirit, I mean, rarely in shamanic healing do you get a diagnosis that says this is the Rosetta Stone. If you can deal with this one thing, everything will come into place. We're usually more complicated than that. So in a way, this woman was really lucking out, right? She had this one thing, and if she could just focus her resources, her, her attention, her time and energy, her relationship with spirit, focus everything on transforming this one thing, then everything would change for her. Her response to that was, well, that shouldn't be an issue because I studied all of that in grad school. And so this woman was completely lost in this very contemporary idea that to study the thing or read about the thing or to get a hold of that packet of information is the thing itself. Utterly and completely, sincerely missing the value of the experience of integrating that information into our life. As we do that, what does that mean we let go of? 
What does that mean? If I integrate this new piece of information, how many things inside of me does that now conflict with? How many beliefs do I now need to let go of? And how do I do that? And do I want to? Are the beliefs I hold the things I want? Or is this new information what I want to live by? If so, how do I delete the old code and bring in the new? These are all the questions any human must ask with new information within the process of learning from an oral tradition sense, not the process of learning most of us in America at least experience in school, which has a great deal to do with, well, controlling information and shaping us all to go out and be um, good little workers that will consume. And, you know, so what, what it doesn't set us up to do is to value the experience of learning. And there are many teachers in America that value the experience of learning and create experiential learning, even within the public school system. So I'm not dumping on America's school system. I'm just saying we have a tendency, now that we can package information, to think that the package is the thing. The information in that package is the thing, and it, it isn't. It never has been. So knowledge, without the depth of understanding to act on it, to correctly associate it and relate it to other information. Knowledge stripped of content is not valued in shamanic cultures. That knowledge is of no value until the individual is able to act wisely on it. That the individual is able to understand it in context with a much bigger story, to associate it appropriately, to connect it with other ideas. And this is, this is critically important. So the other thing along this line is that people forget that there are levels of wisdom. Like when you're given a packet of information and that packet has been marketed to you one way or another as the word. This is it. The be all and end all about this thing, whatever this thing is. It tends to cultivate in people the forgetfulness that there are always other levels of wisdom to access. If you can process and integrate the first bites, the first packages of information into wise action in your life, there will be another level of understanding of the exact same wisdom. And that will continue throughout your life. And to live with that understanding, to live in that way, is called living a path of mastery. And this, in and of itself, can bring meaning and purpose to someone's life. So it is important that we not forget this, that we not go to sleep around this understanding that um, there, are, there are basic levels of information that often have to be integrated to actually understand the next level. One of the most powerful things learning about learning that ever happened to me was realizing four years into the study of chemistry. All right, one year in high school of serious chemistry and three years in college. Four years of studying chemistry for me to learn enough, frankly, basic information to actually grasp the truly fundamental ideas about chemistry and how it 
makes our world work. Four years of study. So this is the thing we must remember. That which can be packaged in the bits and bytes that get sent around is not necessarily the whole story. It may be the beginning. It may be the key that allows you to access that whole world. But it is not the thing and it is not the whole. It is only the step in, potentially, at its best. So this leads to the second part of the issue around virtuality and this access to virtual learning. Is the bottom line here, people, from a shamanic perspective, especially in shamanism, which is basically about the practical activism of, you know, spiritual activism in life, right? So from a shamanic perspective, the journey matters. In easy access to information, we lose the journey. And I think this is a much deeper problem than you might first imagine. You can probably listen to that and go, yeah, okay, well, that makes sense. You're right. The journey matters, blah, 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 right? It's a poster when I was a kid, the journey matters, right? I wrote my essay to get into Smith on the journey matters. Okay, the journey matters, right? Sure, right, Christina. No, the journey matters. That what I see happening all around me in all of these programs offered where you're certified as a teacher of a deep and ancient world tradition in a weekend, in four months, in, you know, eight weeks, you get a certification. And now you're certified by who knows whom to do something that in the time of the oral traditions, a person would spend a lifetime to be considered a master of. How many things out there can you name right now where you can become a quote-unquote master in a weekend, a master in two months, a teacher in a very short time frame? Get your papers and off you go. This idea that the journey, that the life experience of engaging with whatever the teachings are, Using them in your life, failing miserably, learning from your mistakes, asking a different question, getting a better quality answer, in engaging with the information powerfully is the journey. And I would say from my own experience, at least in shamanism, because it's the only thing that I have committed long enough to know what I'm saying about being on that journey is that the difference between myself and my students is I have allowed that journey to transform me. Absolutely. And for many of my students, the jury's still out on whether or not they should allow what they're learning to transform them. And that's fine. It may not be their calling. But because it is my calling, I must allow that journey to transform me or I will never become the person who can do what I have come here to do. And so what I say to you is that for you to become the person who can do what you have come here to do, you must surrender to the journey of your own mastery. And you are not going to be able to do that online. At some point, the information must be engaged at the level of experience, full body experience. 
And for many of you, if you're the type of person who's bothering to listen to this podcast, I am probably not going out on a limb here to say for you, you must engage your heart. Now, I personally would say everyone does, but for now, I'd just be happy for those of you that are connected in and conscious already that your life is a work of art. It is also a work of the heart and that you will not find the wholeness and the well-being and the magic that is available to you in life until you have surrendered to the journey of your soul's purpose and, and given yourself over to that path of mastery. Now, to the extent that the virtual world allows you to find the thing that makes your pulse race, to find the thing that has your true passion that you couldn't figure out how to find any other way, then the virtual world is great. It connects you to whatever the traditions are that will give your life the path to the heart and meaning. But to the extent that we think we're going to be able to walk that whole journey online without ever to ever leave our home, without ever having to sacrifice anything in terms of our physical everyday life is naive. So this whole piece of this dynamic of oral traditions in a virtual world, this piece is on the student This piece is about you being honest with yourself, about where you are in the process and where you need to commit and sacrifice your own space and time. So with the virtual world now, now we move away from simply the printing press and the ability to package information. But now we move into the technology where we can start to add the visual to the text And I personally don't play video games, but my momentary interactions with them as I've gone through life is that the capacity now to recreate a fantasy reality is really high. It's very, very high. And a lot of the way that um, this, this sort of virtual reality video game, I don't even know what to call it now. It's, it's advanced to such a degree. I'm not even sure what the right language is. You know, it's, um, it's, it's pretty profound. And um, there's a lot of energy going into it. Of course, now, you all would be better off if you'd start to ask why. Who is being served by this? But that's not the point of this particular show. My point is we've now added to the ability to package text. We've now added the ability to package the visuals. And the value of this, again, is that we gain access. Now you, as an individual person, can gain access not only to teachings, but you can gain access to teachers. That you get to see them and imagine that you can almost feel them as you watch them on YouTube or something. That that the there's the sense now that you can touch a teacher before you ever have to commit to getting your butt out of your chair and going to see them at a you know $10 talk at the open center in New York or whatever so so it's an amazing thing this access it it truly is so the really good news in this is is that it allows the rise of true teachers outside of institutionalized channels And this is really important at this time where the seduction 
of the ability to have power to manipulate the masses or power over to manipulate the masses has really corrupted the traditional channels throughout much of the world. So the, the, in other words, the teachers, quote unquote, teachers that would be certified now by the old systems um, are not necessarily the best teachers in that field that we can't trust that any longer. I'm not saying it's not true. I'm just saying we can't trust it as a given. Um, again, in my time in college, a really simple example of this is there was a woman teaching women's studies at a women's college. And she was the kind of teacher that you didn't go through four years at Smith College without taking her class on women's studies because she was excellent in all ways. She was younger, she was new, and instead of spending her time disengaged from the world and writing, doing papers, writing books, becoming published, which was the old way to secure your tenure, she was out in the world teaching, you know, instead of delivering papers, sort of cold, she was engaging people in workshops, engaging people in retreats about the information so that they can engage with what she was teaching. So I would suggest that this was a new way of validating your credentials as a teacher, but the system hadn't caught up yet. And she wasn't granted tenure. She's teaching women's studies at the foremost women's college in the United States, and they didn't keep her. I mean, it's ridiculous. So this is my point, is that the, the institutions that designate who the teachers are at this time in and of themselves may have become corrupt. So what access does then, it, it allows true teachers to rise up outside of these old channels and be available to the masses without having to jump through old hoops. Now, the other side of this is equally problematic because at the same time, the internet offers access to anybody who calls themselves a teacher. And there are people all over the internet that have no place teaching anybody anything. And so this piece of access that we are granted through the virtual reality is on the teacher's shoulders. That, that responsibility is not on the student's shoulders as much as on the teacher's. You know, you shouldn't be putting it out there if you're not really masterful in it. But... This is the point. So we now have to all be conscious, raise our consciousness. We can't just bring the standards from oral traditions and apply that to the new world, which has many, many more options than oral traditions. We can't just trust that the system has generated the best because it hasn't. And so we have to pay attention. We have to wake up. We have to trust our truth board. We have to engage in this process just to find the teacher in the first place. So, with gaining access to everything getting easier and easier, and I suggest that this idea, by the way, that we are gaining access to everything is false in and of itself, simply because there are things that can only be accessed through experience. And for those of you that are way into the virtual world and are disagreeing with me right now, think about hallucinogens. Think about the classic 
issue in the study of hallucinogens is those who used them were no longer considered valid academicians. But if you didn't use them, you didn't know what the hell you were studying. And so even in the wild world of the study of hallucinogens and the use of hallucinogens, there is an understanding. Experience does matter. It absolutely does matter. So I would suggest that with all the richness and variety and amazing things that the virtual world offers us, it will not substitute for experience. So from sex to shamanism, there are simply types of wisdom, experiences needed to progress one's understanding and transformational shifts that are only available to us through our experience. Okay, I'm going to take this one step deeper. Yes, I watch Star Trek. Yes, everybody wants to finally someday have a hologram. And yes... Being in a hologram, let's assume the technology exists. Being in a hologram, uh, holodeck, sorry, being in a holodeck, that experience could be considered to be very much like journeying. You're in a world that is not exactly ordinary reality, and you are having an experience. The issue here about the teachings that come from experience is who programmed the visions in a hollow deck who programmed the visions my suggestion is that even once we have the technology of the hollow deck they will the options that you can experience are still going to be no more expansive no more spiritual and no more transformative than the most spiritual expansive and transformed programmer when we journey, when we unplug and journey ourselves into the spirit world, the visions are being produced by the source. For my money, I'd rather get my teachings from the source. I object to things being mediated by humans. If I can get to the source myself, I would prefer to go there. And this, for me, is the great value of oral traditions, is once I have sorted through the great, vast opportunity of access to information and find the things that make my pulse race, that I commit to those things. And through that commitment, I gain access to these realms where I can connect to source. The more middlemen we cut out of the picture, the more successful we will be in whatever it is that we choose to commit to, whatever journey we are on. Not that we do not ask for help. That is a fundamental aspect of my teaching and my understanding of shamanism. The whole point of it is humans are asking for help from the spirit world. That's fundamental in shamanic teachings. But I am just asking for help accessing the source directly and that is my task then to integrate that answer into my actions here in the everyday world and that the issue for me again is who's programming the visuals who is programming the experience for me i would like that to be the source 
not simply the trickiest programmer in the office. So back to this idea that we actually have access to everything easier, faster, fuller, right? Nonetheless, okay, we do have, that, have this sense of everything being at our fingertips now. And in that, my sense is that people are growing more dispersed. There's more distraction. People are unable to choose and commit to a particular path to begin to go Deeper, And that is the other thing that we risk as we gain access to everything is that our interests grow wider and wider without seeking depth. In the beginning, all roads lead basically to the same place. From that place, from your initial sort of initiatory experience, then different roads lead differently to the source. But in the beginning, you know, it doesn't really matter what you choose. You just need to choose something and commit to it and stay focused on it and practice it long enough to break through to the next level. So the fact that people are getting more and more dispersed, more and more information, jumping from practice to practice, doing a little bit of everything and not very much of anything is not serving our growth as a human species. I mean, we're not deepening. We're growing thinner and wider and more dispersed and less capable of focus. So I see this as a deep problem when it comes to wanting what it is that we used to get out of oral traditions. I think that learning through an oral tradition in and of itself has become an endangered species. Your opportunity to check out what I'm saying just to see if this has any truth in it at all for you is becoming more and more rare. More and more I see people that teach something that is ultimately experiential, moving things into these packets that are virtual, easy access, um, all driven by... Frankly, the idea of how can I better market myself, get my message out, how can I be more successful? And the problem with that is that then is on the teacher, right? But the other piece of that is on the students. If you're all unwilling to come to retreats, how are we going to offer experiential, successful experiential workshops, right? And so that part's on the student, that, that we are all abandoning the piece of this which is that in the old days, the form served the teaching so that you as the student could get the teachings as deeply and richly and quickly, frankly, as you were willing to commit. And now we are dumbing it all down and changing the form, changing the form, changing the form, year after year after year to make it easier and easier and more and more access because that's what the consumer wants. And in doing that, we are all losing. We are all losing the very forms required for us to experience the teachings. Because remember what I said in the beginning. It is the fact that the message and the messenger are completely congruent that allows the deep archetypal relationship of student-teacher to happen and spirit to come in and enliven it and infuse it and allow the teacher and student to create 
what may have never been created with the traditions because of the uniqueness of that particular dynamic between those two particular people. It's an extremely powerful thing. And this is what we are losing access to as we dumb everything down to packets that can be shaped by our current technology, by giving up on the journey and the value of sacrifice, the true spiritual value of sacrifice, not the false way this idea has been manipulated um, by religions, by social services, by all of these governmental agencies um, that, that run our lives. But we have lost the understanding that it is through my blood, sweat, and tears that I, that I commit in my life that I gain the richness of my life. I can't buy that. No matter how many times I run off to Peru and do those old rituals with those Peruvian shamans, I cannot buy initiation. And that initiation to one who is truly committed and engaging in the oral traditions in the old ways can come right here in your own backyard in Topeka, Kansas. No journey to Peru necessary. Not that journeying Peru isn't a great idea. But you get my point. Oral traditions are grossly inconvenient in today's world. But that is the point of them. The point is to stop the ordinary flow of your life, to disengage you from the everyday, and to get you to pay attention to different things and to pay attention in a different way. They are inconvenient because the student and the teacher must each invest resources for the potential without any guarantee there will be payoff. That true oral traditions in the true act of the teacher-student, one engages spirit in the process. The teacher and the student are both rewarded by spirit with gifts for their efforts. They are each transformed, each in different ways. But they are given what did not yet exist because they have engaged in such a way that has brought spirit in. They've gone from, I'm just a human teacher teaching just a human student, to I am now more than myself because I am infused by spirit and this student is now more than his or herself because they are infused by spirit and something is happening here that is much bigger than the packets of information. And when this happens, we gain a gift from spirit that didn't exist before. So one of the things that has happened as many oral traditions have encountered the West and the gobs of money to be made here in the West is to simply dumb the forms down for us. And I recently received an email from someone who was um, really kind of wanting to validate themselves as a substantial person worthy of actually having some time to talk, which I appreciated um, that this wasn't someone disguising their need for shamanic healing and some idea that they had something I needed to hear from them, which happens all the time. So this person was just saying, look, I'm a legitimate person. These are the things I'm interested in. And one of them was a form of um, Qigong. And what was interesting about this 
piece that this person offered me is that it talked about the history of this particular Qigong form and how sincerely these masters over the generations had wanted from their heart of the teacher to bring the, the practices to more and more people. And so they kept simplifying them and simplifying them and simplifying them so that they could be taught to more and more and more people. And in the end, one of the masters in that lineage, in this family of teachers, you know, basically parent to child who had handed these teachings down, stopped and said, what we are teaching is no longer working. We have dumbed it down so completely that this is, can no longer, we can no longer claim that these forms will bring the benefits they have always brought to our family. And so this person stepped out of that flow of dumbing the forms down and went back to the teachings of what would have been the person's, I think, great-great-great-grandfather or something like that. Went back to the source as, as that family knew it. Went back to the beginning when you had to earn your right to study there. You had to get there yourself to be worthy of those oral traditions. And so this, I think, is the challenge here is that this always begins as a sincere effort to bring the teachings to the people. But the teachings become too convenient for the student and they lose the form that allows the teaching to be conveyed. And they lose the form that brings the student into a congruent relationship with the teachings. In other words, I'm saying something. But while I'm saying it, I've created an experience where you are living the very thing that we are in the process of talking about. That that is how shamanic teachings work. True shamanic teachings work in that way. Where the very thing we are conscious, we are aware of learning is happening to the student or the student is engaging in it at that time without necessarily realizing I am doing what I'm learning before I've even learned it. And in the final recognition of that, I have just experienced this thing that I'm learning about. Those two channels for learning are knit together and the understanding drops into this very, very deep place that that student can now own and will not forget that the experience grounds and solidifies the teachings. So they don't need a book anymore. They just look inside and they read the teachings off their own bones. For me, teaching shamanism, that's how that works. That the experience itself is what makes the need for the book unnecessary and that by giving people a book which is what all my students are demanding of me at this time but by giving people a book they no longer have to experience and carve the teachings in their bones and for me I have had some moments post-initiation of losing faith in everything, even my teachings, even the spirit world, even shamanism as the path for me. I have had moments of utter 
in complete loss of faith. And it is in those moments that I turn to my body because it is always real in the moment. And I turn to my body and in my body, deep in my body, I find what has been carved on my bones through my experience. And I read that wall of teachings on those bones. And I do those teachings that I find there on my bones. No longer knowing where they originally came from. No longer connected necessarily to the traditions that brought me there but just connected to what has been carved through my own life experience on my bones. And I read the bones. And I do the teachings there on the bones. And my faith is restored through those experiences that have come from the teachings that are carved on my bones. And these teachings that have come through my experience, that are carved on my bones, have never failed me. Almost to the person every teacher I have ever had has failed me. There are times when it feels as if the spirit world is failing me. And there are certainly, every single day, people around me and the contemporary world fails me. But the writing on my bones has not failed me. And now, having gone to that place several times, I think that I can say that it won't fail me. But where would I have been in those moments bereft of all things of value in my life with nothing but my body lying on the floor of my home? bereft of all things, had I not had the teachings on my bones. So this for me is the great value of the willingness as the student to engage in an oral tradition, is to get teachings that are valuable to you through your own experience to get those teachings carved onto your bones and no one can carve them there but you and your experience this isn't something someone can do to you what gets carved on your bones are your teachings it is the way you as a unique person draw the teachings into your life and ultimately through your experience and your testing of them and your screwing up with them and you're trying it again and you're eventually finding your own resonance with the truth that these teachings get written on your bones. This is, this is what we each have the opportunity to find through the oral traditions. And my, what I suspect is that we will create the technology to simulate experience, at least in the five senses. And because our five senses will be engaged and overstimulated, we will fill in 
the spirit pieces. We will fill in the emotional pieces. We will fill. They may even develop the hormones to manipulate the emotional piece. That's probably already doing that, frankly. So I have no doubt that technology will come to utterly and completely manipulate the experience. And I also believe that that experience will always be limited by the spirituality, the emotions, the heart, and the imagination of the programmers. And for me, if I am going to have things carved on my bones through my life experience, I want the visuals, the experience to be programmed by source, not by people. Not by technology that has come from the people, but by the source. And so as you go forward and choose your teachers and commit to the paths of teachings that make your blood speed up and heat and bring passion to your life, constantly ask yourself, who's writing the visuals? Who's programming the experience? Are you connected to humans? Or are you, through the teachings, being connected to the source? Because the deep transformative experiences you are having are being written by you on your bones. Thank you, everyone, for listening today. I'd like to give thanks to the ancestors and all of their wisdom, may we learn from those who have gone before us. I give thanks to the teachers of the traditions that have held the forms that humanity might continue to learn deeply. And thanks for the fact that through journeying, through shamanic journeying, we can still connect to them. They are not lost, though there may not be a human being left practicing them today. They exist in non-ordinary reality. So I give thanks to those ancestors. And I give thanks to the earth below and the sky above and to each one of you for listening here today and to the heart that unites us all. For those of you that are moved by the show, I encourage you to share the show with others. You can subscribe on iTunes. You can get all the old shows on the website, whyshamanismnow.com. If you're a Droid user, you can connect with the RS feed there to get the shows. Um, and all the shows, all the new shows are on Co-Creator Network as well in the archives. So please share the show wide and far. And for those of you that are moved by it, I encourage you also to support so that we can keep the show going. Next week, our show is going to be about taking a teacher. True teachers connect us to rivers. They connect us to the flow of information that existed before the teacher and will continue to flow after we are gone. The purpose of a teacher is to help us to use the river to create more essential, authentic expression of ourself. Learning from a really good teacher. So taking a teacher will be our topic next week. Thank you all for joining me. Have a great week. <laughs>